Hey, Chris, it's mom. Listen, I just wanted to congratulate you on your show, The Stranger Than Chris. That is awesome. I listen to it all the time. And, and the people that you talk to, it's like it starts out sort of unfriendly. And then at, by the end of the show, you know the person like, like you've just you know, spoken to him like yesterday or something. But it's awesome. I'm glad you're doing this. And I'm glad you're, you know, the show is going further. Uh, heard New York City. Woohoo! Love New York. Love you, baby. Congrats from me and dad. Later. everyone. Welcome to Stranger Than Christian. My name is Christian Carrion. This is the show where I engage in unrehearsed, unscripted, unprovoked conversation with complete strangers from all over the world. The conversations have a tendency to go all over the place, and we talk about all kinds of things. They can be funny. They can be interesting. They can be insightful, educational, harrowing, scary, sad. The range of emotions that comprise life, uh, I try to seek out as part of this project, and I am very appreciative of you listening. Now, I started this show a few months ago as a podcast, and I, in that time, have been able to talk to people from all over the world, dozens of countries, just about every state in America, and one common experience, one commonality that uh, is shared among all those people is that at the end of the day, they just want to be listened to. I've worked in hospitality for years. I got laid off this year because of the pandemic, uh, and hospitality just took such an enormous hit. But at my core, I'm a people person, and my work in hospitality, I worked at several front desks at various hotels in the uh, central Pennsylvania area, a very tourist-driven area. Um, at my core, I'm a people person. And I enjoy that first interaction. I enjoy that, hello, nice to meet you. I enjoy that welcoming of, you know, in my work was checking guests in and finding out where they're from. What brings them to the area? Have they stayed here before? Can I recommend anything? I've just always enjoyed that type of conversation. And I found myself craving more. I wished I could talk to each of those people for just as long as they wanted to talk. And so I took that desire to engage with people that I've never met before, and I tried to turn it into a show. And I was really nervous when I first started doing this show. I'm going to tell you the story of my very first episode. I was a nervous wreck, and I, you know, what I did was I, I put out a form on Google Docs, and I sent it out to all the podcasting uh, groups on Reddit. And my strategy there was anybody who responded would have a good microphone. So I'd be like guaranteed good audio for whatever I would record. Um, I forgot the part where I need a good microphone. <laughs> um, so I got a lot of people who reached out and uh, it was, you know, the response to that initial posting was great. The first person I ever talked to, her name was Courtney, and she lived right here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. 
And we made this arrangement that I would call her at a certain time. We'd talk for as long as she wanted to talk. It ended up being about an hour. They usually do, about an hour or so. And I was so nervous because I had no idea if this would work. This was an idea that I had one day. I said, I wonder if I could keep that ball up in the air long enough that we could have a substantial conversation. And to get over my nerves, I remember I took our TV in the living room and I put it next to my computer desk. A big, you know, 50-inch TV, flat screen TV. And I searched for crashing waves 10 hours. And I found a 10-hour video of just waves crashing on the beach. And I had it on the TV on mute. And then I made my call and I hit record. And the strategy was, if I ever got too nervous to say anything, I could just turn my head to the right three inches, look at the uh, at the waves on the TV, and I would calm down. So I don't even know if Courtney knows that. Funny story, Courtney actually went on to work at a hotel where I was managing years later. And when she came in for her interview, and when she came in for her interview, I realized that she was the first person I ever talked to for my podcast. So it's funny how small the world is sometimes. Anyway, we are months into this show and it has been such a pleasurable, fulfilling experience being able to talk to these people. And my hope is that listening to the show is as fulfilling and beneficial and positive an experience as it has been to make the show. So thank you so much for listening today. I am so excited to bring these conversations to you every week. And um, I cannot think of a better way to kick this off than to just get right into it. Today, I'm talking to Lindsay. Lindsay has lived all over the world, but currently she lives right here in Brooklyn, New York. And so we had a fantastic conversation. There were a lot of interesting bits of Lindsay's life that she was so eager to share with me. And she was so happy to talk to me. And that, you know, happiness and honesty are two of the most important ingredients in a conversation. Of the two, happiness is optional. It's okay to not be happy and have a conversation. You know, you don't have to be in great spirits. And Lord knows that it's, you know, you can't be happy all the time. Lindsay was just a lot of fun to talk to. And I think that you will enjoy our conversation. I'm going to bring that to you in just a minute. But first, here is a word of interest about another fantastic program on the Apocalypse Podcast Network. You're listening to Stranger Than Christian on Radio Free Brooklyn. Stay right there. Let's teach people something super quick. Every year, uh, more people die from getting hit on the head with coconuts than they do from shark attacks. (laughs) (laughs) Like dead dead? It's not that many because like only like one or two people I think die from shark attacks every year. The low teens for the coconuts. Coconuts are hard. Teach Teach me me something something good. good. Now on your local favorite podcast thing. (laughs) Yeah, all podcast things. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, how are hey, you? Hey, good. How are you? I am so well. Oh, How's it going? Awesome. I'm going to give you some good news to start. You can turn your video okay. off. I just need your audio. Ooh. Okay, perfect. <clears throat> there we go. Perfect. Everybody's really, really happy when I tell them that they don't need to <laughs> actually physically show up for this. I um, had like six weeks off work over summer because I had to wait for a new employment card to legally be able to work. 
And in that gap, it feels like everyone at work gave up on using cameras as much. So it was such a joy to go back to. I was like, sweet, we're just all on audio now. Right. Like, this is the dream. Oh, God, it's so refreshing. Also, I, I don't want anyone to see the, the squalor <laughs> in which I record this podcast. It's not It's not that bad. I, I have a closet in the middle of my apartment that I turned into, like, my studio. So I bought, mm-hmm. like, the foam and did the whole yeah. thing there's a rack of jackets hanging behind me mm-hmm. <laughs> it's still yeah. it's still half it's still half a closet i think that's like most of the voiceover industry right now they're just huddled in closets with towels and coats around right. them oh yeah before soundproof foam it was me and mm-hmm. a big fleece blanket and i had a bunch that's of right. big safety clips that i used to use to like close it and i, I used mm-hmm. to sweat to death i would be like dripping <laughs> with sweat once i was done with every conversation but yeah thankfully i've moved on and now i drip with sweat in a room lined with foam <laughs> beautiful lizzie you sound very excited to talk to me Oh, I love chatting to people. Um, yeah, I I mean, I try and approach every interaction in a positive way um, because that's really important to me. I, um, <laughs> As a child, my dad was off to do one of the things he loves most in life, which was fishing. And I was like, oh, have a great day, dad. And he was like, oh, try. And I was like, that's weird. Like, you love going fishing. <laughs> what's this energy about? And I think as a child, I internalized that's not the right energy. So really do try to come to things with a bit of bounce and energy and positivity. Well, it is appreciated. And I can also (laughs) relate to what you said about picking up Mm -hmm. on that energy. You know, when I was a kid, I felt like I was overly concerned with making sure everybody was okay, making sure nobody was angry, making sure the energy matched throughout. So as a result, Mm -hmm. I do feel like to a certain degree, I've carried that into my adult life. And that makes me a bit of a clown and a bit of a ham, you know, (laughs) like I'm just I'm always interested in just making sure everyone is cool because kids are very perceptive of of, Mm -hmm. of changes in energy and changes in tone. Um, I know that I was maybe maybe more so than other kids, but I was very perceptive of things like that when I was younger. Right. I volunteered over summer for 826 NYC with some of their workshops. And it was so wonderful getting to run some workshops with children. And to your point, they are, they're so perceptive. Like the answers they gave were insightful and beautiful. Um, Like I, I run workshops for my normal job. And in that we always tell people like to yes and ideas and build on what other people are saying. And these children were just doing it naturally. And I was like, I have this theory that like we hit probably like 11 or 12 and like we <laughs> we fall through a funnel of cool and it removes all of that from us because <laughs> we go from being these like slightly more empathetic like wonder-filled beings into like so cynical um and thinking like worrying about what people think and worrying more about ourselves because of that stuff so yeah i love all of that from childhood and i it's great when it carries through it's interesting to explore what happens at that age because i definitely Mm -hmm. feel like it was around 12 13 for me where i suddenly became very self-conscious and i wanted to be looked at and i wanted to be acknowledged and i wanted to be seen you know for i wanted to be seen for what i thought i wanted to be You know, and I feel like at that age from like 12 to maybe 14 at the latest is like when those feelings begin to take hold, where you want all of a sudden to be the person that you think you want to be. 
Yeah, it's true. I well, I think I maybe had <laughs> had the reverse. I think I was like, I I knew like, like at the time I really wanted to be an actor, and there was someone in my class who would tell everyone she wanted to be an actor, and I <laughs> would just keep very quiet about it. I was in a class of people I didn't like that much, so I think I used to make myself try and make myself like as invisible as possible because I didn't want to be seen by those people. Right. Um, and then by other people who I did enjoy hanging out with, I would just tend to listen a lot. And then just, well, even with people in my class became like, the, the, like a person you would go to for advice. Um, I was like, oh, I've become mum of my entire year group. <laughs> this, this was not intentional. Is it, but it's nice when that happens. Though. I mean, that speaks, to, yeah. that speaks to your character as a person. But I, mm-hmm. I can definitely understand um, wanting to sort of hide in the shadows with your interests. Mm-hmm. I not only did I want to be an actor for a long time, um, ever since I graduated high school. Um, well, for the couple of years after, I, I really it's not my 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 interest anymore. But I have wanted for my entire life to be a TV game show host. That has mm-hmm. been my lifelong uh-huh. dream. And when you're younger, you want to spread that energy to everyone. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that type of energy is that it's very narrow and it's very, for some people, hard to understand, which as a result is discouraging to a person who wants to spread that energy. So I, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I think about it and I regret that for a a period of a few years, I was very quiet about my ambition, Mm -hmm. about what I wanted to do. And I sort of reasoned to myself that, oh, you know, maybe this is more of a fun fact. Maybe once somebody gets to know me, I can, you know, drop this on them, that this is what I want to do, this unusual sort of interest. But I do, I feel like I wasted a lot of time. I could have been very open about it. And, you know, as you get older, you start to appreciate more people with very narrow interests and people who are open about those interests. I, I, I love that. I think that's so cool yeah I think it's wonderful and those people know so much about that subject and I find that fascinating like when they open up it's like tell me more of this because you were so excited by it even if I knew nothing before now I want to know everything about it because like that passion is like so effervescent um have you hosted a game show uh I well, that's a, okay. So that's an that's an interesting that's an interesting story. So my friends and I uh, do a thing every year called the twenty four hour game show marathon. So we do one show an hour for twenty four hours mm-hmm. straight, and we live stream the whole thing. And it started at a radio station that I, my campus radio station. Um, Mm -hmm. And last year we did it at the TV studio at LaSalle University in Philadelphia. So it's really become like a big project, but we take turns hosting every hour. So in that way, yes, I have. There was an opportunity that a friend of mine and I had a couple years ago to have our own game show. And Mm -hmm. I've been a contestant on a few of them. And the producer Mm -hmm. for one of them, I reached out and said, hey, if two of your ex-contestants hypothetically had an idea for a game show, who would we contact? And he emailed mm-hmm. back and said, please tell those two contestants to call me. And that was it. And we he helped us make this show. And I hosted the run through for the show. So in that way, I have fulfilled that dream. No one has yeah, ever seen. Beautiful. I have the footage of it. I have the, the video. No one has ever seen it. 
I'm planning on one day writing something about the whole experience because it was mm-hmm. really incredible. Um, yeah. Going to New York to pitch the idea to another company and just just the anxiety that occurred on my way to this incredible <laughs> office. And I just I have a lot to say about it. So one day the world will see it. But for right now, it's just on my hard drive. <laughs> Yeah, that's beautiful. One day when it's ready, we'll all get to see. Right, right, right. Yeah, as long as I looked, as long as I deem myself to not look too fat in the shirt that I was wearing, that is when everyone will see it. <laughs> we'll take your time to assess. Right, I'll go. I'll go frame by frame. <laughs> we'll analyze it. Well, forensics in. You're like, oh, I'm gonna do VO at this point and cut to a photo of me on my way to New York instead. Right. Yeah. Maybe we can just kind of chroma key a tree in there and kind of obscure it a little bit. I look forward to seeing it one day. What is something that you know a lot about? Is there something in the world that you just know an incredible deal of information about? Oh, you're laughing already. Um, I'm so excited. No, I'm laughing because I feel like as a 13 or 14 year old, my aunts would have been the Beatles. But I feel like in terms of that knowledge now, it probably really doesn't compete with some people. The reason I'm laughing is because I've had bed bugs for the last four weeks. So right now, my knowledge about bed bugs is greater than I ever wanted it to be. Oh my god! Um, but like that's that's why I was laughing because I was like, the genuine answer right now is bed bugs. <laughs> Tell uh, me, wait, hold on, <laughs> we're pausing now. Tell me about bed bugs. First of all, how? What is the okay. initial sign of bed bugs? What do you look for? That's like your first um, indication that there might be a problem. Yeah, it's been interesting talking to people uh, about this. So I I saw a bug and it was of a size where I was like, that could be a bed bug. So I looked it up and Googled it. Um, If you lift up a mattress, you can sometimes see them. Um, They also, and this is a gross bit, um, once they've eaten, like they poop and basically poop blood, which leaves like dark brown black marks on sheets so if you see tiny little marks um like that's another sign and you'll see it on like the corners of the bed and you'll see it on pillows so that's another sign that you have them um once I'd seen the first one then I started to see a few more so I let our super know because I know how like a hot an issue it's been in New York um and they let me know that the property management company provides like Uh, a firm that will come and look after everything for us. And they've been wonderful. They've been like so friendly and so good at explaining all the instructions. Um, But yeah, it's interesting because they go through like this life cycle. And once they've eaten once, like then they molt and like they leave, like they shed their skin as they get bigger. (laughs) I was like, I don't need to know all these things about bed bugs. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, it it is, it is an unfortunate situation where you have to all of a sudden Mm -hmm. educate yourself. I, I don't know that we've ever had bed bugs. We've had an, we've had an apartment with roaches, and I remember I had right. to get really, I had to educate myself on what to look for, and 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 mm-hmm. and they tell you that the first thing to know about roaches is that if there's one, there's a hundred, and that was like that was just a that was nightmare fuel for me. Uh, yeah, that's like the worst right. sentence to hear. Although I heard from someone at work that if it's one large roach, it's not as likely that there'll be lots of others so it's when they're the smaller size roach there will be lots of them because they're different breeds of roaches oh okay i did not know that oh we (laughs) i don't know that we found one big one we found a lot this was years ago and then the second thing just to preface what i'm going to say the second thing i learned 
and I was happy to learn is that it's not a reflection on the people living in the apartment if you have roaches. It doesn't mean you're disgusting. It doesn't mean you're gross. And I'm sure the same goes for bedbugs as well. It's not an indicator that you're a filthy human being. It's just something that happens, you know? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like they, the, it, one of the things I read describes them as travelers. So they will like jump, well, they don't jump, but they will move onto a person or like get onto your bag when it's out and next to something. And then they like enter your apartment that way. So yeah, same as roaches. It doesn't mean like, and I think one of my favorite articles was like, if you think you have bed bugs, don't panic. And I was like, great. That's the, I'm just going right. to keep rereading this. Well, that is, you know what? That is great SEO and great writing because they know that the person <laughs> on that page is panicking and that's why they're yeah. there. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. This is soothing. Right, now. right, right. Yeah. But so I remember when we lived in the apartment, uh, it was in Connecticut and it was in the kitchen mm-hmm. where we found the bugs. And I remember, you know, that feeling of when you turn the light on in the kitchen and everything is still dark for a second and that's yeah. just all the bugs scampering. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I, you know, yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was a total nightmare. I remember that. Yeah. I lived in Sydney for a while and there, there would be a lot of them on the streets in summer and it was similar. Like you could turn down like a side street and see this sort of <laughs> moving mass of roaches and you're like, mm, okay, I'm going to give that a moment to clear before I proceed. Right. You're listening to Stranger Than Christian with me, Christian Carrion, on Radio Free Brooklyn. For more information, to hear dozens more episodes on demand, or to contact me, visit StrangerThanChristian.com. My episodes are also available on major podcast outlets like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Deezer, TuneIn, and Amazon Music. You can also find me on Facebook at StrangerThanChristian and on Twitter at StrangerThanC. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, then I kindly ask that you consider supporting me on Patreon. That can be found at patreon.com slash stranger than Christian. So you've lived in, okay, I, I, I want to do something really quick. If I could for mm-hmm. a second analyze your accent, because you, you, have, <laughs> yeah. you have a unique accent, and I feel like I can detect more than one thing in it. So I definitely hear the Australian accent. Mm-hmm. I also hear like a sort of UK, almost like North Country accent. Mm-hmm. So I'm from just outside of London. My parents are from London. Um, as a child, I didn't, I, I grew up in a, uh, just outside of London in a county called Surrey and had a very neutral accent. And I didn't like that. So I taught myself to sound like the Beatles. Um And then I think I've had like a propensity for picking up accents ever since then. So I lived with two people who were from near Manchester, which is where the Northern probably comes from. And so when I lived with them, a lot of people thought I was from Manchester and then I'd have to disappoint them (laughs) and be like, no, I'm from the South. I'm sorry. And they were like, wow, I thought I'd found a fellow Northerner. And I was like, "Mm -mm." Uh, and then I moved to Sydney in 2008 and was there for about three and a half years and picked up the accent while I was there. Um, so it's a, yeah, you did well on the detection. Oh, wonder, I'm, I'm glad to, that's the first time I've ever done yeah. that well. I'm, I'm very happy for myself, you know. You're correct in how I sound. Uh, none of it is a, is a representation of uh, like where I grew up or what my accent originally sounded like, but 
I'm fine that it sounds like this now. <laughs> it's an interesting mix, though, and that's and that's the only reason why I commented on it. I always wonder, yeah. and I always, yeah, I, I guess I do. I always wonder if people in America who have unique or unusual accents ever get tired of people who don't have an accent commenting on it. Do you ever get sick <laughs> of people saying, "Hello, oh, your accent, where are you from? <laughs> no, it's been part of my daily life since I moved back so after I was in Sydney I went back to London and I sounded so Australian then everyone thought I was from Australia and where I got hired to work an Australian hired me so then everyone was like oh trust an Australian to hire another Australian I was like look at my passport it's a British passport they were like but your voice I was like yeah this was the only way I could use voice automated like phone systems in Sydney that was genuinely the only time I tried to speak with an Australian accent was so I could book a taxi to get home that's interesting Um, I feel like that's one of the difficulties that people don't think of when they think of going to another country or living in another country that a lot of phone systems are voice activated so that's a whole that's a whole different lexicon you have to take on yeah and it was really like if I just said it as like I lived in a place called Glebe and if I said Glebe and that for me is like more English or British accent sounding then it, it it wouldn't take me home and if I was like Glebe and put like the inflection on it it was like your taxi is booked and I was like great I can <laughs> get home awesome um I think I probably mirrored speech patterns in the office so um that probably also added to it and I I think I maybe did that without knowing, um, but, you know, to fit in or like sound like other people. Um, and yeah, most people think I'm Australian. And so then when I'm like, oh, no, I'm from London. And everyone's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, I, <laughs> it's on me. Right. <laughs> it's truly on me. Um, but I don't get tired. It's fun. And, you know, as a child, I wanted an accent. And, hey, I got there one. There you go. So. You got one in many ways. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. My wife has a long, my wife is from Long Island. And she has a very mm-hmm. thick Long Island accent. So it's all quarter, water, dollar. And I, Ooh. I love yeah. yeah. And I, I I regret that I don't have my video on so you can see how serious my face is. <laughs> I love my wife's accent. I think it's so cool and so mm-hmm. tough. But we live in Lancaster in Pennsylvania. And in central mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, that is an exotic accent. So a lot of people will comment on it. She'll say, hey, can I have a glass of water? And I go, ha ha, water. You know, like they'll like, you know, they'll make yeah. fun of her. And I th- and. And sometimes I sort of have to talk her off the ledge and say, I don't think they're making fun of you. I think Mm -hmm. that it's an exotic, unusual accent. And I think that more people think it's cute than think it's weird or something to make fun of. You know what I mean? It's like when you hear it for the first time, it's, you know, it's almost endearing. It's just, it's humans, I think, like, and I've learned this doing this podcast, humans like hearing other humans and their accents and the way they talk, Mm -hmm. especially if it's different from the way that they themselves talk. Yeah, it's so true. Like in the last week, I've had people who I hadn't ever spoken to on the the phone, like after the phone call was like, oh, also, I really liked your accent. And I was like, thank you. That's so sweet. Like, it's just, yeah, I think people genuinely get excited. And it's like, oh, where are they from? And have questions and curiosity. And I, yeah, genuinely, I'm happy to answer those questions. So what brought you to Sydney in 2008? Mm-hmm. Um, so... Before the reason I went to Sydney was because uh, while I was at university, I worked a lot in a pub. Uh, the pub was on the River Thames in the town where I grew up, which is called Walton on Thames. 
and the it's about 30 40 minutes outside of london so it attracted a lot of people who were traveling because they would get bored uh like accommodation and food provided so i met a lot of australians while i worked in this pub and all of them had gone back home and i knew i wouldn't get to see them unless i went to australia a lot of them had told me how beautiful the country was and so i had decided it was somewhere i was going to go and i studied english and french for my degree and had lived in france for about nine months and i realized nine months isn't quite enough to get to know a place so when i was looking to move to australia i knew i wanted to go for longer than a year probably and it's so far away i didn't want to just go on holiday and by the time i was ready to go one of my best friends from university had moved there with her partner and they were getting married in 2008 so i was like okay this is the year i've saved the money they're getting married um let's go uh <laughs> and on the day i told my best friend she was like oh i'm going to get married in september in 2008 so i had to fly back for that wedding but that was also great but yeah i moved because there were friends in australia that i just wouldn't have seen if i if i hadn't gone there and i wanted to see them one more time at least what an incredible privilege it is to be able to move to another country altogether and just start a whole new chapter that must have been yeah. so much fun it was great so if you're under 30 in the UK you can apply for a work in holiday visa in Australia which lets you go for a year and then there's a bunch of exceptions which lets you extend that to probably stay for 2 years um i was really fortunate when i went i'd worked in communications for about two and a half three years at that point and had a decent amount of experience behind me so I was able to get sponsored by a company which then meant I could stay longer. So that's how come I ended up staying three and a half years. But for sure, or like to have that like reciprocal agreement between the countries and just know that as long as I applied before my 30th birthday, I could go. Um if you applied like very near your 30th birthday, you had to get in the country by the time you were 31, but I went a little before that. So I was fine. Is there anything you miss about Australia living in New York now? Um it's actually interesting I the one thing I used to say as soon as I got back to the UK when people would be like what do you miss I used to say the sky because the sky felt so much bigger there and like more immense and I think you get more of a sense of that in New York and in the states as well and uh maybe less so in New York but you can get it in in different states it just feels more expansive and you could see more cuz I would have come from like London and it's so built up um and it just felt enchanting to like look up and see so much sky right um i mean i miss people that i made friends with there um and maybe i would go back and spend more time there in the future um but i always enjoyed going to a different place um and so it's more i just look back and i'm like wow i had such a great time there and what i found like i've lived in london twice i think like long chunks um of time and even in, within those chunks of time there's been phases to it and it's so interesting like when you stay in a place like the changes or you go back to it it's like a a totally different city when you return uh or you move through through phases as like people leave the city or you get new interests and things like that so i don't 
miss the experience in Australia because if I went back, it would be so different now um, just because people have like moved back to the UK and have gone on to do different things. Right. You experienced it in your time with the people around mm-hmm. you. And yeah, you can't you can't go back. It's like going back to your elementary school. Like it's going to be. And, and it's funny. They talk about that, too, that when you go back to your elementary or your high school and you realize that the place goes on without you, that that's a very mm-hmm. sobering thought. Yeah. Uh, it was weird when I got my results for my at my high school because at the time I was considering teaching and one of the teachers was like, well, you know, maybe in like five to seven years you'll be back here teaching. And I was like, oh, that's too much to hear from results now. Right. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a huge that, – that is a huge mental burden to carry. Yeah. I was like, ooh, let's get out. So I think, right. Um, yeah. Uh, I was like, mm, not right now. Um yeah, it's weird as well because my parents have left my hometown. Uh, so sometimes I go back because there's still a couple of friends who are who are there. Um, but otherwise, like, and sometimes I'll see them in London. So it's rare for me to go back to where I grew up now. Right, 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 right. And, and I imagine once you once you put down roots in a place, it, it's maybe not even very healthy to you know, dwell in the past and mm-hmm. go back and visit very often because, you know, that's attention that you could be paying towards what you're living now, you know, your current existence. Right. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I've not been back to the town I was in in France. Uh, my dad has gone back because they had a really good lake for fishing. So he's gone back. And you said, have a good day. Uh, so he said, oh, I'll try. <laughs> yeah, 100%. He's like, oh, bon, bon, <laughs> Um, he actually, he speaks very little French, basically none. Um, but somehow he and the other (laughs) fishermen around the lake managed to communicate. He would give them like ale that he'd brought over from the UK. They gave him red wine. Like they had a wonderful time. I was like, oh, I'm so happy. He found like this little place in France that he really enjoyed. That's great. That's great to see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was was really joyful. Years ago, this was maybe two years ago, my wife and Mm -hmm. I gave serious thought to moving away from Pennsylvania because I'm from Connecticut originally. She's from New York. She was living in Pennsylvania when we met and then she lived with me in Connecticut for a year. Then we went back to Pennsylvania and we'd always sort of romanticized the idea of moving back to Connecticut, knowing it's not going to be the same as it was when we first lived there. You'll never recapture that excitement of living together with somebody for the first time. Um, But we wanted to do it. And we one day parked at Taco Bell and we we pro and conned it. We made our list of what are the benefits and what would we miss. And one of the things at the top of the list of things that we would miss in Pennsylvania was the sky. Because living in Connecticut, you know, you get sky. There's there's a lot Mm -hmm. of buildings. There's not a lot of, you know, uh, huge scenery in Connecticut, but you know, you, you get some sky, but you know, coming to Pennsylvania, especially from Connecticut, I used to visit her on the train every weekend Mm -hmm. and traveling to Pennsylvania was like traveling to a fantasy land where you have these like incredible expanses of farmland and the sky is just like from your eye level to just as high as you can see. And it just, Mm -hmm. I never thought I would see, the world if through such a wide lens you know yeah, and and that along with a couple other things that we, we that we would just miss if we weren't if we weren't in pennsylvania convinced us to stay but yeah, i just remembered like you were talking about the sky reminded me mm-hmm. that at the top of that list was the scenery and the sky 
Yeah, I love you said that because <laughs> I was always very hard trying to explain it to people. So I get, I love that you understand it. People were like, but we have a sky here. And I was like, it's different. It's like, different. It's, 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 it's almost, like, I can see more of right. it. Right. <laughs> it, it's almost, I, 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 I don't know that I would call it imperceptible because you could definitely perceive <laughs> it, but it, right. it, it almost defies description. Like you have to, mm-hmm. you have to see it through your own lens in order to understand it. That, you know, you can yeah. just, you know, and that's how, uh, you know, some people can tell where they are just by looking at the sky. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's, there, there are so many little intricacies in the world around us that if you pick up on, mm-hmm. you'd be, you know, fascinated. Yeah. I love that. So you like the Beatles. I do like the Beatles. Is that an understatement? Yeah. Do you love the Beatles? Are you like an enormous fan of the Beatles? Did I just commit the understatement of the same <laughs> like the Beatles? Uh, no, I've gone on like, uh, I've consistently liked them. At times I've loved them. Um, so my parents started to replace all their like vinyl when I was a child. They bought a CD player when I was about five or six. And uh, <laughs> I'm an only child, so I thought this was a fun toy and a way to interact with noise. And I used to love that you'd press the button and like the little tray will come out and like you put the nice shiny disc on and like, ooh, fun music. So I just kept playing all their Beatles and Motown and Rolling Stones. Um, and age five, six, people at school were really into Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan a few years after like new kids on the block and I was like but I love the Beatles and everyone was like who are the Beatles um and then I had to <laughs> always explain it was this group from like the 1960s and they were like based in Liverpool and everyone's like we still don't know and then age 13 the the TV program the Beatles anthology came out and that was a beautiful time because then it was very easy to to find people to talk about it because all these Beatles fans came out of the woodwork at school. And someone would be like, wait, you, you love the Beatles too? I was like, yeah, you do. And it was so joyful to get to have these conversations with people my own age uh, about this band that I love so much. That is pure joy. Oh my God. That's beautiful. (laughs) And and what a beautiful experience to have as, uh, as a child to be able to like play Mm -hmm. with a record player, because I feel like that's such a tactile experience to be able to like touch your music, which a lot of kids at at the risk of sounding old and crotchety, Mm. a lot of kids don't have that today because music is no longer a physical object. So to be able to not only touch your music, but also physically appreciate the way that it's played and the way that it works and the way that the, you know, the needle comes up and rests on the record. Mm -hmm. That's just such a unique experience. Yeah, there was a Motown Christmas album that we had that had a huge scratch in it. So during the Supremes route of the Red Nose Reindeer, you had to be real quick to take the needle off just at the end of the song. Because uh, <laughs> I learned scratch it. scratches are bad for the needle. So we we're like, and um, she's finished the chorus and we can hear the bell and lift up the needle. <laughs> um, and you're right, people won't have that experience and I'm sad. For right. It. Do you know as a result, do you know a lot about record players? Do you know a lot about how they work? Do you have like a working knowledge of them? No, I don't. Oh, okay. I, I just get very excited. I'm like, oh, this thing does this. And now I can listen to it. And the other thought I had while we were just talking about like tactile music is how many tapes I used to play and like mixtapes I would make. And my dad made these amazing mixtapes for his 40th birthday party. I say amazing because (laughs) they're not music, which uh, my peers were listening to at the time. Um, 
and I brought some of them back with me when I was home last. Um, we have a tape player and I played them recently and I had a great afternoon of just playing cassettes and I was like, oh, I'm nine again. That's so great. <laughs> there is a charm associated with carrying one album with you. Mm-hmm. Just having that be the soundtrack to your day. I remember... I mean, I had a CD player when I was younger. That was like the thing to have before everybody had like mm-hmm. phones and stuff. But I remember my first MP3 player. It was so small. I think it held wow. it held maybe like 15 songs. But as a result, I had in my pocket just this incredible mixtape of everything that I was listening to at mm-hmm. that time. And it just it makes you uh, prioritize your music. I mean, now everybody has every song in the world in their pocket, so you can just listen to anything at any time. But to have limited space kind of forces you to take stock of what you like and what you want to carry with you versus what you'd rather listen to at home. Yeah, it's so true. And you're like, oh, which ones? I remember family holidays when I would, I had a cassette player for the most part and did have a discman for a bit, but the battery life was not as good as a cassette player. And I was like, I can listen to more music if I stick with my slightly older piece of technology. And that was the priority. But to go on a family holiday, they were like, right, you can take three cassettes. And I was like, oh, wait, what three am I going to pick? Right. That's a big decision. Three (laughs) is like... That's a that's a that's an impressive number. I don't know that I would be able even even <laughs> at the height of my love of music, which I I love music, and that can be a whole that could be a whole series in and of itself. How much I love mm-hmm. music, but uh, yeah, three tapes is that's a hard choice. Yeah. What three tapes would it have been? I would have picked a Beatles. Mm-hmm. I would have picked one of these party tapes, which was a real mix of Motown, Beatles, Stones, like a lot of 60s, 70s stuff, some 50s like rock and roll and soul. Um, and then I probably would have maybe picked something more recent. Uh, I always tried to listen to, <laughs> to something like my peers were listening to, and I didn't necessarily like it until I was around like, 12 13 and then i was like oh radiohead and the foo fighters and i was like oh i enjoy all of this but like when it was pop i was not into like new kids on the block and stuff like that i would buy the tapes i would save up and buy them because i was like i want to be able to talk to people at school uh but (laughs) i had the choice that wouldn't have been my priority right 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 yeah and when you asked if i have had like the knowledge of the record player i didn't but like if you play any of those tapes that were made at the time i still remember the order that the songs come on in so often if i hear one song i expect to hear the next song after it from the party tapes that my dad made and i will like i know so many lyrics from like all of those songs that i was still listening to and suddenly i'll hear one that maybe isn't like one that I go to often. I'm like, oh, wow, (laughs) the lyrics are still in my head. Right. And you know what's funny? You never forget, whether it's an album or a mixtape, the order of the songs. Like, that's what makes, like, you know, and I'll speak in terms of an album, like, that's what makes an album an album. And I cannot Mm -hmm. describe the frustration that I feel sometimes when I listen to an album on Spotify and I realize it's on shuffle. So the first song oh, plays same. and then, oh, my God, what is that? <laughs> yeah, it tricked me the other day. I was like, oh, no, I pressed that button, not the other right, one. Right, it feels like such like, a violation of the, like, artistic mm-hmm. license you have to listen to it. 
yeah, I was <laughs> I was mad at myself. I was like, pay right. attention, you did this. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's frustrating. I don't enjoy it. <laughs> the reason why I ask if you have a working knowledge of record players is because I fear I may have broken my wife's record player, oh. and I'll tell you how. She alerted me a couple months ago to the fact that she needs a new needle, and mm-hmm. I thought, and and you. You don't have to have a working knowledge for this part, but just correct me if I'm mistaken. It's just a matter of buying a new needle. You don't have to know the model number. You don't have to know what brand it is. You can just buy a needle and there's a needle that will, that, that will fit. I probably would have looked up the model. I mean, I did I... have the model number, but I didn't like... <laughs> Uh, okay. Anyway, I <laughs> I can't tell you if you're wrong, but I will be oh like, my, I, I'm thanking I'm thanking Christ that she's sleeping right now. Okay, so so I bought a set of like three replacement needles on Amazon, and it looked easy enough. You unscrew the thing, and you take off the thing, and you mm-hmm. put the thing in, and make sure the the needle will not stay on any record that we. Oh. It, it just won't stay on. You put it on, it goes, and it just scratches all the way into the middle <laughs> no. of the record. And it happens with every record we own. And she has like, she has like her Lennon and Ono double fantasy album. Like she has an original mm-hmm. copy. And like, I, I it, thank God it didn't scratch that. But it's yeah. just like nothing is playing. And I, in the back of my mind for like a month now, I'm like, I need to figure out what's wrong with the needle for that record player. Like, I hope I didn't. Bri- I don't think I broke it. I think there's just something that I'm not doing or something because I'm a stupid millennial and I don't know how any of this works. <laughs> I, I definitely don't think it's broken. It does sound like a thing isn't quite in place because it's doing the same thing on everything. So that sounds like, oh, it just needs like a tweak or like screwing in differently or a different size needle or something. Right. And and that's what, like when I Google the problem, a lot of people mention balance. You have to rebalance it or it has to be on a, on a level surface, which it is on a level surface. As far as balancing, I don't even know what the hell that means in terms of like a record player. I don't know. I, I was, I was hoping I could maybe bum a record player repair <laughs> off of you. That's so amazing. You're like, oh, are you into this? I'm like, no, but I can sing you all these songs while you try. Right. I don't know if you heard I don't know if you heard under my breath. I asked you if you know record players and you said no. And I said, damn it. <laughs> I did hear something. I was like, oh, he really wanted to go down that route with the question of like, let's really get into like music. Right. And now now I know right. why. <laughs> yeah, this whole podcast is really just a long con. I'm just trying to find someone in the world who knows how to fix a Memorex record player. <laughs> You could do it for so many different problems. You'll be like, when people like respond to you, like, oh, you have expertise in that. Right. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I have a guest from Scotland. Today we'll be talking about bathroom plumbing (laughs) for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. I love that. That's like such a sneaky, (laughs) sneaky way in. Ah, that's, yeah. Great. Make your list of problems find people who can talk on that subject. Right. Uh, <laughs> I think I, I think I smell I smell a spin-off series, but we'll I'll worry yeah. I'll worry about that later. So uh I ask this question of everyone who participates in this show because participation in this podcast was a choice. So you mm-hmm. Lindsay filled out the form and wanted to mm-hmm. talk to me. Why did you want to participate? What made you say yes and want to fill out the form and do the whole thing? Um I heard you on Joanna's podcast, Apocalypse Now, and I got really excited by the premise of this. And you were talking about working in hospitality and talking to people. And uh, as a teenager, I was very shy, similar to what I was saying before. Like I wouldn't want to answer questions in class and I would just like (laughs) just try and be 
as quiet as I could be. And then that summer I was like, I need to earn money to go to university. And the only job I could get was working in this pub um, that I mentioned before called The Swan. Um, As a child, I'd gone there every weekend with my parents. It was still my dad's local at the time. And in passing, he went, oh, I think they're looking for people at The Swan. And I was like, really? Because by this point, I was like, I need a job. And I started the next day and I was awkward and it was difficult. My dad had given me this such a sweet rundown of like how to pour drinks for people in that kind of pub because there was certain things you should know, um, which I'm happy to expand on. Um, But like long story short, I've always enjoyed talking to people and I probably didn't have the confidence to do it. And being front and center behind a bar, particularly in one of the or two of the bars in that uh, place were a lot of locals who just wanted to talk to you. If you got graveyard shift, you were on like three to seven with like three people in. And it meant within like four weeks, like that bit of me that loved talking to people and was very happy to do that, particularly with people I knew could just do it to anyone. And when I heard you talking about your podcast, I was like, oh, that resonates so much with like how that I found that in me. Um, and was, yeah, just excited that you're doing this and get to have those conversations. Um, and I think it's really great when people just get to make connections and, and meet in different ways. It's funny that you, and by the way, thank you for the kind words, but it's funny <laughs> that you mentioned hospitality because I am consistently surprised at how much the idea of this show resonates with people who work in hospitality and people who work, you know, because I, I come from hotel front desk. I, I did that mm-hmm. for, you know, five years. So in a way, I do feel like this podcast is the audio downloadable audio version of what I used to do at the hotel every day. Like that was my favorite part. It was like checking people in and finding out where they're from. What brings them to the area? Have they tried any of the local restaurants yet? Do you need a recommendation? You know, all of that. And, you know, and, and that was really where the idea initially Mm -hmm. sprouted from was that I I wish I had longer with these people. Like I wish I had like an hour with these people and I would just like find, because like what other job is there where you meet people from such a wide variety of places? Yeah. It was so fascinating. And the people I knew as a child would come in and be like, so surprised to see me in there. And then, yeah, every day you'd get so many different people. And like, because of where the, the place was located I also got to meet all these people who were from like South Africa Australia or New Zealand or just traveling with their partner so both in terms of like the people I got to work with and like the people coming through the pub yeah it was so fun and so great and uh (laughs) I still remember what most of the people in like the locals bar would drink like if you put me back in that bar now and they were there I'd be like great pint of special for you pint of bitter for you half and half you just pick up right where you left it's like riding a bicycle (laughs) yeah um yeah and I it was such a great experience so yeah that was why wonderful I want to know what you need to know when pouring drinks at this pub Right. Um, so uh, one thing he was talking about was gin and tonic. So <clears throat> put the ice, well, obviously first check, they want ice and lemon, put those in, put in the gin, pour in a little bit of tonic, but don't pour in the whole bottle of tonic because some people like to split a bottle of tonic between two drinks of gin. So that was one of the first tips um he talked a lot about like the head that you want to have on the beer for like the different kinds of beers 
um, and how to like make sure that works out okay. Um, I can't remember. Those were the main things that like I retained to this day. It was like pour the bitter this way. If it's like a mix of the two, people will probably prefer that you put like a slightly heavier pull on the stronger beer, <laughs> the weaker beer. Uh, so even though it's like half of special and half of the bitter, like put in a little bit more of special because that's <laughs> a higher percentage. Uh, yeah, just a few things like that. I, I seem to remember that pouring a pint of beer is deceptively difficult. Um, I, yeah, I enjoyed it and it was uh, like for the pump, for the ale, like you kind of just pull it down really hard the first time. And then top it up a little slower because as you pull it in the first time with like more power, that's like what helps give you like the frothy head on the beer. Um, <laughs> as a child, <clears throat> when I saw my dad drinking that beer, <laughs> I was like, oh, it's like bubble bath and blew it and blew half his drink out. And he was like, for the future, not bubble bath. <laughs> right, that's not that's not the consistency <laughs> we're looking for, right? <laughs> uh, kind of expensive to blow half my pint of beer across the right. table. Like, Got it. Uh, <laughs> when it comes to... Uh-huh, then, no, no, after you, please. Oh, and then I was going to say for things like, you know, like a lager, you don't need... To, like, you just pull the, the plastic tap back and you pour it at the angle and, like, adjust the glass accordingly and you can sort of tilt the glass the right amount because you can see how gassy it is and some of them will be more gassy depending on, like, how everything's working. Um, I never got to the stage where I had to be someone who changed the beers or looked after things in <laughs> in the cellar. And I think it was because I would always go back to university. So I'd work for like two, three months and then disappear for two, three months and like come back at all the major like vacation times. And so I think they were like, oh, she's fine. She can just keep serving drinks. Right. Yeah. You never stayed long enough to get the, the advanced classes. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> You know, my dad would go to the pub every night. Um, he stopped because of COVID. Um, good. Mm. <laughs> um, but like, and even he has been like, they've reopened in the UK and he has gone back. Um, he went, He's he's gone a couple of nights, but him and all his friends wear masks and sit outside at the picnic table. So they're like the right distance apart. But he used to go every night and he's like, it's not what it was. And for him, it was a place to go and, just see people he knew and have a chat and to like make sure he had like an element of social activity in his day. Um, And he used to, he used to go to a pub where he could walk to. This is pretty recently. And then they stopped serving the beer in the way he liked, like they weren't as good as uh, maintaining it. So he started going to this other pub and had to take the bus and the bus stops were between, like they were either side of the pub. So you would get off the bus and need to walk to the pub and little by little, all these bus drivers started to learn that my dad was going to the pub and he was quite often the only person on the bus because it was 10 p.m. at night. And they were like, don't worry, Brian, we'll just take you to the pub. Oh, it's so, <laughs> so nice. Oh, driver. my God. Yeah. They started like slight. I mean, they didn't have to go off their route, but they were like creating an extra stop. <laughs> and like some people, sometimes other people on the bus, and they're like, hey, wait, I'm going to the pub. I'm getting off with him. <laughs> like, um, It's always the same driver who gets him on the way back because it's like about an hour loop or a little over that, probably like a 90-minute loop. So when he gets back on, it's the same person. <laughs> um, and because he's over 70, well, I think you get a free bus pass maybe when you're 60 or 65. So the bus ride is free for him. But this is even cuter. So 
as my dad gets on the bus, uh, a man who's a little older than my dad gets off the bus. And he always has this four-wheeled shopping trolley with him, which is also kind of like helps him, like supports him as he walks. And the trolley had been missing two wheels. And my dad got on the bus one night and this guy gets off. And my dad said to the driver, he's like, oh, John's got a new trolley. And they, the bus driver was like, oh, do you know Sharon? Dad was like, yeah, I know Sharon. Like she, she's a bus driver and she also drops me at the pub. Um, and Sharon, the bus driver, organized for all the drivers on route number 10 to club together to buy John a new trolley, which I think is oh, so how beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> that is beautiful. See, that that is what restores faith in humanity, things like that. Right. That's that's a that's that's a beautiful story. Yeah. Wow. It was really sweet. And then I was telling my friend this, and he was like, Oh yeah, bus drivers are great, or like bus services and he was ta- he'd been talking to a friend who I think was on holiday in India and the bus stop was by a mango tree and she had been thinking like, oh, wow, I would love one of these mangoes but like didn't know if she could take one and felt unsure. And as she got on the bus, the driver was like, did you have a mango? And she was like, oh, no, I wanted one but I didn't know. He's like, go and get one. She's like, okay, if you're sure. She's like, he's like, why do you think the mango tree is at the bus stop? And she was like, I, he's like, it's at the bus stop so people wait in for the bus can eat mangoes and I was like oh that's even I mean it's not better than the trolley but like all these things are adorable right and waiting (laughs) waiting for a bus and eating a mango is Mm -hmm. like my that that's never mind I don't want to be a game show host that is my lifelong dream (laughs) I want to wait for a bus and eat mangoes while I wait that is an absolute dream yeah. Incredible. Lizzie, this has been so much fun. I have so enjoyed this conversation with you. And I could not think of a better way for this conversation to end than a mango tree <laughs> at a bus stop. Thank you. Yeah, it was a delightful story. So people go go plant trees at bus stops and give people fruit. Right. Yes, yes. Please, <laughs> please spread fruit around as much as you can. Let's all prevent scurvy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone got way more into gardening this year it's the prime time to go do right it. absolutely yeah this has just been so incredible i'm so glad we're not strangers anymore Lindsay. thank you for yeah. for for having this conversation with me i hope it was everything you thought it was going to be it was beautiful i had a great time thank you so wonderful it's my pleasure good luck with everything you're doing uh hang tight in brooklyn i hope everything treats you well and uh oh my god good luck with the bed bugs too <laughs> I forgot. I, I forgot about that. I, 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 I hope. I hope they all. I hope they all go away. I don't know if there's a term for that, but <laughs> I hope there are a bunch of dead bed bugs in your bed tonight, Lindsay. <laughs> oh, yummy! <laughs> oh, man, this has been so great. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Have a good night. Thank. You. All right. Yep. Bye bye. Stranger Than Christian is produced by me, Christian Carrion, from my studio in beautiful downtown Lancaster City, Pennsylvania. Visit StrangerThanChristian.com for more information, to contact me, or to hear dozens of additional episodes on demand. Also, find the show on your favorite major podcast platform, on Facebook at Stranger Than Christian, and on Twitter at Stranger Than C. If you enjoyed the show, I kindly ask that you consider supporting me on Patreon. To do that, go to patreon.com slash stranger than Christian. Until next week, I'm Christian Carrion. Thank you so much for tuning in to Stranger Than Christian on Radio Free Brooklyn. Good night.